0: friends to paraphrase the great philosophers smash mouth the weeks start coming and they don't stop coming i started to say that this week has been a big week but now i can't remember which week that was and what happened and so let me just give it my best guess The social media accounts are up and running, thanks to Eleanor Hobson, our marketing and media manager. You can follow those for updates as well as fun at That Do It For You, both on Instagram and Twitter. This week we launched the Patreon. Patreon makes it easy to support the pod, and if you become a patron, you gain access to lots of fun extras such as exclusive episode art, early access to episodes, bonus content, and even the opportunity to guest on an episode. I know things are incredibly difficult right now, and there is no pressure to donate. But if you are wanting an able you can head over to patreon.com slash that do it for you pod and become a patron today. I'll include the link in the episode description as well as my Venmo for folks looking to make a one-time donation. Uh, This week I'd like to thank Eric Solis, Angela Hernandez, and Lee Hawks for their donations and I'm extremely honored to thank Krista Umberforth, Hannah Grierson, Grace Kent, Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott Thomas for becoming our first patrons on Patreon. I'm truly humbled by your support, and I couldn't be more excited to have you as part of the team. Uh, One last thing, this episode was recorded remotely. I'm not going to lie to you all, it sounds really rough. I'm hoping to be able to afford a new mic and sound equipment soon. I just wanted to warn y'all and let you know that it's crunchy, and hopefully as I get better at this, things will smooth out and sound better in the future. Thank you all for your patience and understanding. And now, without further ado... That Do It For You, Episode 6, Airbent My Breath Away, with Carlos and N. Trujillo and Hannah Berg. Hello and welcome to That Do It For Ya, a sexual awakenings podcast about why we're like this. I'm Aurelia Grierson, and every episode I interview a guest about the media that made them horny for the first time, and how and if they carry that with them today. This is a sex-positive podcast with swear words and mentions of characters I do not own. Okay, I'm doing it now. Okay, we are recording. Hello and welcome to That Do It For you, the Sexual Awakenings podcast where we ask tough questions like, why am I like this? I am here today in quarantine, but we're not going to talk about that. I have two special guests, Hannah Berg and Carlos and N. Trujillo. Say hi, guys.
1: Hi.
0: hi. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Oh, I had
2: Girl Scout cookies for breakfast. <gasps> so, mm-hmm. What kind? I had the Thin Mints.
0: how to start the day i think it's the breakfast of champions carlos how are you doing
1: i had a ton of little caesar's pizza and some ssris so we're good we're golden
0: amazing (laughs) this is the second episode recorded in 2020 sort of the season two am not do it for you uh hannah how do we know each other um, what a good question. I don't know
2: how we met. I don't remember meeting you, but we've worked on several shows together and then like, somehow became like the bestest of like friends. I don't, even I don't remember. remember
0: meeting you either.
2: <laughs> I don't remember the transition between me being your assistant director to us being like very good friends. I don't remember.
0: I don't even remember how... I don't remember how we met. It just feels like you were all of a sudden my assistant director and we were the best of friends it, and we were yeah. shopping for horse <laughs> furniture yep. in yep. the wheels across the greater Rogue Valley. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Hannah, I, you are a, a remarkable theater artist, actor, director, writer, all of those things. We're very happy to have you here on the pod. Thank you. Carlos, how do we know each other?
1: Oh, I know exactly. Okay. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We met in Secret Garden originally, like that was the first time that we met, but we weren't really like, we were like acquaintances back then. And I think what really solidified our friendship was Gilgamesh girl.
0: That's when we started becoming friends friends.
1: I think that was when we started becoming like friends friends and not just like acquaintances that kind of like knew each other and had like the same circle of friends but like when we like really like became like close friends was when when you were Gilgamesh.
0: Wow. Okay, because I sort of remember, that's I think you're right. That's that's true. Uh but I remember in Secret Garden I thought you were really funny and I was pretty intimidated. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, Carlos is, like, really funny and very popular. And- what?
1: <laughs> I had the opposite. Okay, here's why I thought I had no friends in Secret Garden. I thought no one liked me. I thought that I was, like, isolated from the rest of the cast, and that I was so unfunny. So I had a completely different experience, and that's why I thought Gilgamesh was the moment, because Gilgamesh was so positive, and for Secret Garden, I was, like, so on edge the entire time.
0: Oh, no, girl, same. That was, like, I was, that was my first show. I was, like, very new to the department. Same! I thought- it was all very hostile. Krista and Eric were my only friends. But no, but I think it's when you moved in with Eric because then I started hanging out.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: But you're right. Gilgamesh sounds about right. I would, I would like pay so much money to get to go back and do Secret Garden again because yes. I didn't, like you were there, a bunch of people we knew were in that show and I didn't like know anyone yet, but like I would love to go back and like be in that show knowing everyone. Yeah. What a, what a great time that would have been.
1: Ugh. Man, that was both of our first show. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You
0: were playing, uh, what was it, your A character's name again?
1: Very racially insensitive character. I was playing the Fakir, who is supposed to be Muslim, but for some unknown reason, our director decided to make him Hindu. Uh, and it was all very complex and unnecessarily.
0: Listen, you and Savannah Fidia just... Uh being like, these people are brown.
1: <laughs> Any
0: kind of brown will do.
1: Any brown will do. Story of my life.
0: <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, Carlos is also a very accomplished theater maker, a uh, playwright, actor, director, all those things. What we do need to talk about though, is something that brings the three of us together today. Well, more like the two of you. I, I got to this a little later in the game, But let's talk about it. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Baby.
1: Oh. Da, 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 da.
2: (laughs) Um, Carlos and I, I think this was the reason why we became very good friends is because we watched a lot of episodes of Avatar, The Last Airbender together and turns out we had a crush on the same characters. So So
0: I... I did not watch Avatar when it came out. I was, I remember when it came out, I was in like sixth or seventh grade and it was very popular with the boys in my class who I didn't like or know how to talk to. And it just seemed like a very like, oh, these boys are watching this anime and I was not gonna, I was not gonna engage with that. But then I watched it later in life and I was like, oh no, this is actually the best thing I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, literally one of the best TV series, one of the period, best TV series. Ever, ever made.
0: Ever. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Did y'all boy. watch it when
0: it was coming out? or Yeah. 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 Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was
2: like eight the first season. I was like eight years old. So it came out in like 2005 was like the first air date, I think. Like mm-hmm. I think about 2005. And I was eight years old. And I was obsessed with it. And my brother and I watched it. It was, like, the one thing I could watch with my older brother. Because he's, you know, three, four years older than me. And so it was, like, we were right on that cusp of, like, still watching animated, like, Nickelodeon shows. And I loved
0: it. Did you love it?
2: I mean, we we would play like bending in the backyard. Like I would play bending on the um, playground. Fully. What was your
0: element? What, what did you bend?
2: I always wanted to bend water, but in the D&D campaign that Carlos and I are playing right now, um, yeah. we, based it, we based it on our astrological signs. So I am an, an airbender technically. Good,
0: good, but, that's good.
1: I would also play bending, but um, I didn't have any siblings or really, I, I wasn't allowed to bring friends over. So I would do it by myself. With a stick. <laughs> and I, I would practice bending in my backyard. And I remember it was the first show I was ever, like, into. Like, literally, I would wait. Like, every Sunday, I think, I would get, like, in my bed, and I would put it on, and I was, like, hooked on it. I was, like, always waiting to see what would come next.
0: I mean, it definitely hooks you. I think oh, something, yeah. something that I was so shocked by when I watched it as a grown-up person was it more than any other show I think I've ever seen. The character arc and character development is so seamless and- It's oh, so good. It's so it's well-paced. Incredible. Mm-hmm it's incredible. I was shocked. I was like, I can't find this is children's TV because that show better than game of Thrones, better than any show I've ever seen. These characters grow and change at a pace and rate that feels believable. Nothing feels shocking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to talk no. about awakenings, I feel like that Zuko arc.
1: Yes. 100%. The Zuko arc changed oh. my life.
0: Oh, changed my
1: life. <laughs> oh man. Oh changed man. Changed my life. <laughs>
2: Well, all I can think about is I feel like no other children's TV show could ask you to, like, watch a character go through wanting to do anything to please his father to understanding that you don't have to become your father. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, watching that happen and, like, watching him go through his, fine, I'm not going to be with my father, and then him and his uncle, too, being, like, fully, oh, no, I'm just going to help the other side now. Like,
0: watching that was crazy. That speech that he gives in the last season, season three, Fire, I don't remember it word for word, but I do, I, I, I rewatched it recently because when all of the stuff was starting to go down and I was like, I need to feel inspired. And basically he's talking to his father and he's like, I was raised to believe the Fire Nation was the greatest nation on earth and that this war was our way of spreading our fortune mm. and all our the good things about this kingdom to other people. But that's not true. And I think so much about, you know, politics in America right now and the U.S. imperial system and how we think like, oh, America, we are trained and indoctrinated from a very young age to believe that, oh, America is the greatest country on earth and we have to spread our very specific kind of quote unquote freedom to the rest of the world. And that's our gift when in reality we're killing people and we're destroying lives.
1: It was hard to realize when you grow up that, oh, are we the Fire Nation? <laughs> are we the Fire Nation?
0: Oh, shit. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, really, I mean, listen, as a firebender, I really what? appreciate Zuko. <laughs> well,
1: listen, and then also, no, no other kids' TV show was asking kids to grapple with topics like literal genocide like the first episode the first episode of the f- like the pilot talked about genocide literally his entire people mm-hmm. is extinguished except him um government surveillance the entire bussing say arc like
0: mm-hmm. all of Just this kiss.
1: like this really deep stuff complicated issues and it was kids tv sh- that never it never looked down on kids and didn't like dumb things down so that kids could understand it. Like it was still silly and wacky at times, but it was always treated you like you were intelligent and like you knew what was going on. And I loved it for that.
2: Mm-hmm. I was going to say exactly the same thing. I mean, it asked you to look at all four of these nations and see their flaws and also see why they're great. I mean, it was earth, you know, the earth benders, earth nation is not, you know, as evil quote-unquote as the fire nation but you look and see that their royalty is living so much better than those in the lower circles and like, oh yeah the yeah. class like,
0: like discrepancies oh it's incredible ma-
2: like incredible and you know and
0: like and you go to the water kingdom and they have this really gendered society really that, gendered uh-huh. that's- society that, mm-hmm. And like Katara can't, like the women go heal and mm-hmm. and Katara can't learn how to how to bend in a combative way. Something that oh. I, I kind of want to pick up on just like thinking about in terms of like our sexual awakenings on this podcast is do you think that because the show trusted children to understand and grapple with large topics it kind of opened another door to be like and these characters are very sexy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, I mean. Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, and I also think that,
2: like, yes, they're dealing with all these things, but they're all young characters.
0: And they all like, have their crushes.
2: And they all have yeah. crushes. And, like, what? How old is Aang at the end? He's, like, 13. Isn't that yeah. what he is at the end? And they kiss and they're in love now and they get married and go, what? Like, what? He's 13. Like, I don't. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's 13. <laughs> what?
2: I barely had kissed a boy when I was 13 so oh, watching you that I was to. like watching that I was like this is in my dreams like oh my god they're going to be together <laughs> forever
1: like listen I need to tell you guys about I have like a full anecdote about how it changed my my sexuality and everything us. so it was the summer of my 7th grade like right before going into 8th grade and it was around that time season three was happening and i don't know if you guys if you remember it hannah they took so much time to make one damn season it was literally the entire summer and it was like weeks between episodes and those weeks i would just spend thinking about these characters and obsessing Mm -hmm. over it because i was like well i've got no content which Led me into the world of fan fiction, mm. and I have never admitted this before. Oh my God, deviant art! You
2: better get in here right now and tell <laughs> me, Chris.
1: And I fell hard. I it was oh. it was one of the most <laughs> important summers of my life. Um, that and the summer of my eighth grade, because a, another thing is that Sozen's comet came out oh. like the final three episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender came out fully a year after the majority of the third season came out. So they made us wait for it.
2: I remember, and do you remember all the commercials that came out about it? Oh
1: my God, all of the, I was biting my teeth. And I, I remember just like getting so into it, but it was also around this period of time that I was going through physical changes and emotional changes. And... I discovered the world of fan fiction and uh, specifically Mm -hmm. fan fiction that kind of got a little sexier. And so my my sexual awakening happened through, like, words before anything else. Like, it was Mm -hmm. all of this erotic Mm -hmm. fan fiction. And specifically, specifically everything changed when Zutara came into my life.
0: Yes, baby. It was... Will you explain Zutara for the listeners at home?
1: Oh, my God. Oh it is God. so crazy because it was such a big... It was It was something that I would think about going to... I would stay up. I was addicted. Addicted. No. Like, literally went into uh-huh. withdrawals uh-huh. when I couldn't have it. I went to Cuba for a little bit, and I didn't have fan fiction at the time, and... I was, like, going stir-crazy because I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to go home and read more fanfiction. Like, that was all I thought about. And yeah, Zut- so uh,
2: Zutara yeah. is the best pairing that came out of Avatar The Last Airbender, which is Zuko and Katara. Yeah. Their names match together, obviously. Fire and um, water, baby. And it all came from that one scene in the cave where... Oh, no, no, no. He, I
1: disagree with you on that.
2: You just. Dis- Okay, well, let me, this is where this came from me was the scene in the cave where Zuko's like on the edge of becoming a good guy and Katara really is like, this is going to happen. And um, she's like, I could heal your eye if you wanted. Oh my God. It, and then he betrays them and it's like, oh, that's what, that that's what started mine. What what started your Zutara?
1: Okay, I agree. So. I agree that that was like one of the moments. It's one of the peak moments. But for me, it was all the way back season one. Um was it the episode with the
2: necklace? It was the episode with the
1: pirates with the necklace, the the necklace? With the with the necklace <laughs> when Jujo kidnaps Katara and he ties her to a stake. And oh. he goes around her and puts the necklace on her neck and he's like, I'll save you from pirates and whispers it in her ear. And she blushes. And from that moment, I was like, wow, here we go. This is it. This is the type of guy I'm going to be into. And also, I don't know if you're going to keep this in the podcast, but the bondage thing was hot as fuck. Even back then, I was like, ooh, <laughs> tie me up.
0: Can I, can I keep this pirates, in the podcast?
1: You can keep that in the podcast. Jesus.
2: I am not well, going to edit that out. And what I found out when I was older, Carlos, I don't know if you knew this also, but the writers did, like, really consider pairing them together. It's very,
0: honest, I find it's true. so upsetting. Because they, te- I,
1: they teased it.
0: Yeah, they how, really yeah, how did. Do, how do y'all feel about Ang and Katara? Because you guys are both pretty clearly <sighs> Zutara
1: people. We're both team Zutara, uh, yeah.
0: Listen, you, I... no one else saw this, but Carlos and I both just made the most... <laughs> The funniest faces. We both were like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, they both rolled their eyes and leaned back in their chairs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, Like, I distinctly remember that at the time when the show was happening, this was controversial like this was the biggest issue in the fandom was Zuko and Katara or Aang and Katara and which side was right. And there were wars, you know, there were like on forums where people would fight about it. There was like comments on different fan fictions where like the different groups would like attack each other on each other's fan fiction. And because at the time, Literally, there were arguments for both. It was so up in the air. No one knew what was going to happen. And everyone was convinced that theirs was going to be the one. And knowing that about the writers now, they teased that a lot. They loved teasing Zuko and Katara as like the the pairing, but then also doing the Aang and Katara one. And they had us. They had an entire generation. They had an entire generation of girls and gays like sitting on the edge of their seats, being like, "Come on, give it to me."
0: You bring up something that I wanted to talk to both of you about because both of you identify as queer, and I, mm-hmm. I, this show is actually really important to a lot of queer people that I know, and I know that a lot of them watch it as young people, and I wonder so much because there's no queer characters, at least not canonically. I mean, that there's some we could talk, there's some stuff we could talk about, and I do want to talk mm-hmm. about it,
2: mm-hmm. but I wonder yeah.
0: as as two queer people, what do you think of this show had any impact on your <sighs> development as a baby queer, if any? Yeah. 100%. Yes. Um,
2: I, as a younger female, as I'm sure lots of other queer women feel, is I couldn't tell whether I wanted to, like, be that person or be with that person. But one of those first times is, I don't know if it was when I was first watching it because it was eight. But maybe re-watching episodes, I was obsessed with Suki. I was Suki? obsessed with her. She was hot. She was butch. I was I was in love with her. And looking back now, I'm definitely was in love with her. And I think that also stems from I was attracted to a lot of the men in that show. But now looking at me as an adult of those men, who would I end up with? Sokka. You would end up with Sokka for sure. I'd end up with Sokka for sure. Look at all of the guys I've dated. They're all Sokka. Your type. Uh, yeah. My type.
0: And I, I think that that correlates well.
1: Oh, it but does. I do,
0: I do think that, again, like, as watching it as an older person who has already been out for, for many years of my life, I was, like, shocked and surprised by how many just, like, badass women were in this mm-hmm. show and how it passes the uh, Bechdel test with flying colors and they all are so like different and strong and interesting and well-written in their own ways and I I, mean, I think Toph is gay that was always something watching it where I was like oh, yeah like Toph is so disinterested in love and romance Toph is so like focused on her abilities and her skills, she's of the earth. She's, like, grounded. And then when I found out in Legend of Korra, which we're not going to talk about, that she, like, had a daughter. And I was like, well, maybe her and her partner just, like, adopted. <laughs> but it couldn't yeah. be because she, the daughter is a bender. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I, I think there's, like, such a case for, like, the Kyoshi Warriors alone, there's all those women hanging out on an island, learning how to fight. You can't tell Avatar me not... Kyoshi,
1: period. Oh, Avatar Kyoshi
0: was, was, was a, a lesbian. Period. There's, you cannot tell yeah. me that Avatar Kyoshi did not get her pussy at by one yeah. of her warriors like you know 100 there's otherwise. no way they are yes
1: i will say for me i didn't really identify with a lot of the like the the male characters in avatar the last airbender but it provided so many like female characters that i could identify with that it didn't really matter which is th- why i think i shipped zutara so hard Ugh. is because i felt like a katara and i Always had a huge ass crush on Zuko. I mean, Zuko kind of informed the type of guy that I would fall for for the rest of my life is like the brooding bad boy. Are you kidding me? Like, I love a guy who has some sort of issue, and he was just, it was just the perfect combo. And then there was Azula. Azula. I need
0: to talk about Azula. Azula is. Come on my favorite character my i hate her so much i love her so much i think if i have a crush on anyone in this show it is probably her azula Maybe, um, period cut your hair when you're losing uh when she loses her mind i'm so attracted to her i cannot explain Mm-mm. why i mean i think in this quarantine situation we're all azula when she loses her mind um kind of <laughs> yeah honestly I just, I remember, the, I remember the first time I watched an episode all the way through. It was the first episode of season three. I was at Krista's house. I got to get Krista on this fucking podcast. I was at Krista's house and that part where Zuko goes into her room and wakes her up and she gets out of bed and she like puts on her her robe and she's like, she just has this like very sexy voice. And the first thing I asked her was, who is this lesbian?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> who is the power gay Yo. of Avatar The Last Airbender? It
1: is, is she, it is Zula.
0: Zula. she runs around with these like two like girlfriends who like and yeah she's, like, her... so mad that may likes her brother she's so mad
2: that may so likes her brother. bad and also the way she says zuzu that's it that did it for me just, oh, you know? zuzu.
1: Oh,
0: zuzu. <laughs> just like she's like nasally and bratty and i just like want her to like throw me on a bed and like burn me with her fire yes 100 listen
1: Big props to Grey DeLisle, who was the voice actress of Azula. She was an icon, and let me tell you why I identified with Azula so much. At the time, I was in Catholic school. I had a lot of like pressure on me and responsibility in grades, and like le- that like immigrant pressure that you get to be like perfect at everything. And the first episode that we see Azula. I will never forget it. It's the first episode of season two. She's on the ship and she's doing her firebending routine. And the two old ladies are like, that was almost perfect. And Azula was like, what was wrong? And they were like, you had one hair out of place. And then Azula puts the hair back into place and does it all over again. I was like, wow, I identify with this character. I like, this character is me. I feel it. I feel that strongly. And the fact that she was a villain, like, I don't know what it is about villains are inherently kind of queer, you know? Well,
0: I talked about this on the show in the, in the Lion King episode with Dante Topher, Yeah. And I don't think I articulated my feelings about it very well. And I want to do this now. I think, I do think that the queer coding of Azula is, whether consciously or subconsciously, is intentional. And I think that it is inherently problematic because I, it does teach children watching cartoons to associate people who have queer uh, traits about them queer presentation to be villainized and it's homophobic however however there is something so fabulous about Azula there's something so fabulous about Scar there's something so fabulous about Hades and you cannot help but love them and I don't know if this is because I am a queer person and the villains are always more interesting characters anyway yeah I think they give Azula enough for us to realize like oh so much of her impulse for cruelty comes from having to please a father whose expectations are impossible and also having a mother who thinks she's a monster
1: yeah
2: well it's with it's with any villain really is i find that i can relate to them more because they are usually the most humanly written characters i feel like sometimes our heroes except for honestly in avatar last airbender they do a really good job of this but lots so many heroes in television and movies are um perfect and like have Mm -hmm. no flaws and it's really hard to watch and relate to those characters i feel Mm -hmm. like in this show actually there are lots of characters that are super flawed i mean you watch ang make a ton of bad decisions even though he is the avatar and supposed to be, you know, all knowing and the hero of the story. But we also, you know, we get to watch Azula and we get to watch um, Suko make these poor decisions that are so incredibly relatable. Of course, you want to please your father. Of course you want people to like you. Of course you want to have power and money and be the leader
0: of a world, like a nation. Of course you do.
2: And it's, mm, you know, My
0: favorite, my favorite episode Besides "Tales of Bossing," say which is like unequivocally the best oh. episode of Avatar ever. It is. But my right. fa- my second favorite episode is uh, when they go to the beach. Uh, I was going to say the beach house episode. The- <laughs> Azula episode. doesn't know how to talk
2: to boys. Oh my god, Azula does not know how to talk to boys. You're so sharp.
1: <laughs> Listen, okay. Here's I think that y- you could write an essay about how the characters in Avatar the Last Airbender deal with the ingrained, like, sexism and toxic masculinity in their society because everything Azula is is because her father made her that way because she mm-hmm. was his replacement Zuko, you know? And everything Zuko is is because his father wanted him to be, like, this perfect Fire Lord child you know and it's it's all about like parental trauma and toph in the same way has a, a very similar backstory mm. same with like like the big thing that i took away from avatar the last airbender was all of these heroes come from really imperfect families Mm -hmm. and they show a wide range of families, you know, like some characters are orphaned, some characters lost one parent, some characters lost both. Some characters come from a non-traditional family structure like Aang, who was raised by monks his entire life. And they're all dealing with that as these kids sort of struggling with all of that like stuff. And you actively see them grow and like experience puberty through the series and i think that's why it was so why we all connected to it so strongly
0: mm-hmm. i think there is something yeah to, to piggyback off of that there's something about not only its portrayal of of women that the show does so well but i think it does a really good job of, of showing a wide variety of masculinities hmm yeah and one of my favorites of those is Uncle Iroh. And I'm not oh. going to lie. I've tweeted about this before, but if we're going to talk about sexual awakenings, let's talk about Jack Diro for a second. He comes out oh of that God. prison. Oh, ready. The, the most shocking moment of my life when <laughs> Poor little infirm Iroh rips off his clothes and is just uncomfortably yoked. Like yeah. shredded <laughs> for days. For just days. Bulging. Rippling muscles. Tails. Crunching on an apple. Like, okay, Iroh. But I think it's so interesting because it, it doesn't show masculinity as just one thing. And in fact, it kind of shows how Masculinity that is like imperialist and is conquer at all cost, violence yeah. at all cost is is inherently like destroying of the soul. And mm-hmm. you have Iroh who's gentle and very much like just wants to drink his tea and play his pie show and give and, good
2: advice. And give good Who advice. And you have literally that. gave up the throne because he watched his son die and saw that this is not a nation he wants to like fight for any longer. Yeah, yeah, oh. and
0: you even have like Sokka who who struggles to like find the balance between the masculinity that's expected of him and his gentler, sillier side. Mm -hmm. And you have Aang who's like, again, raised by monks, who's a Buddhist who, again, like, I think there's such interesting displays of a wide variety of ways to be masculine in the show mm-hmm. and like all, that also comes from Toph being masculine and
1: yes. yeah and azula being masculine and, as,
0: and, as, yes. and i think so i mean i <laughs> if you want to read my twitter thread about tiger king i think for azula it's another demonstration of how the desire to reach for patriarchal patriarchal po- i can't say words patriarchal power ultimately leads to a life of violence and destruction uh-huh
1: Well, I think it's interesting because when Azula is... When in the final episode, when Ozai declares himself Phoenix King, and he's like king of everything, he gives Azula the Fire Nation. And he's like, here you go, you can be like the Fire Lord now. And Azula isn't Fire Lady, you know, and she doesn't get crowned in a dress. She gets crowned in her armor and she gets crowned as Fire Lord Azula. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a big moment in that Azula actively chose to like to accept this like this patriarchal power as her own. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when she starts way, to lose her mind. Yeah, that's yeah. when she starts yeah. to lose her mind.
2: Speaking of bad boys that we love, um I oh would like God. to talk about stop it. I would like to talk about the <laughs> so one bad boy saying. that I loved beyond all the other bad boys. A character that they set up For all these young women's and gays to fall in love with, only to be like the worst character in the whole show, is Jet of the Freedom. Fighters.
1: Jet of the Freedom Fighters.
2: Freedom Fighters.
1: They gave him the most tragic ending.
2: The way between his teeth, coming, taking Katara up that rope, pulling her, her blush.
0: Oh, he sexually awoke Katara for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. She, I my favorite <laughs> my favorite thing about Jet is in the second to last episode when they go see that play about themselves. There's that like <laughs> there's that thing where they're like, oh wait, did he die? And then Sokka's like, that's actually really unclear. And I'm like, oh, I'm so <laughs> glad the show knows exactly who it
1: is. It was self aware. <laughs> um, let me tell you another little like. Little tidbit, which is um, when I was discovering out my own sexuality and realizing the underlying gayness there, Avatar The Last Airbender was one of those because I already had discovered, you know, Zutara and all of this. And then I started going down this rabbit hole even further with Jet and Zuko. Uh huh.
0: uh -huh. Which was
1: big. Jet and Zuko was Uh big. They were both pretty boys. Who had like an, an adversarial relationship with each other, and that is—that's, I mean, that's the gayest thing ever, right? Like really when when there's two boys in any cartoon that are like, "Wow, I don't like you." Well, I don't like you either. You're immediately like, "Oh, those two are gay. They want to fuck mm-hmm. each other." Like, I know, I'm
0: immediately. Immediately.
1: <laughs> immediately 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 some-
2: i'm interested i'm interested
1: i mean that's the reason we all like zuko and katara in a way is that they were for most of the series they were like wow i hate you well i hate you too i'm gonna like fight you with water tentacles remember I'm- remember you rise with the moon but i rise with the sun Ugh.
2: And also looking at them doing their like final battle with Azula together and her Ooh. bringing him mm. back to life. I mean, you literally watch them have a like fairy tale ending. Like you think I'm a, they, she brings him back. They smooch in my head. When that scene was happening, I was like, this is it. This <laughs> oh,
1: is it. Then it didn't happen. Then it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Uh.
0: Oh, what a disappointment. Uh, we, we're going to have to start wrapping it up here in just a moment, but. Something I want to say about Avatar is that I really appreciate, I mean, it could have, like, probably had more of a gay effort, but this was, like, the early 2000s, so it would never, but the gay was there. But I think something that I do appreciate was that, unlike a lot of kids shows, I think the way that they displayed romantic feelings, the way that they showed even sexual feelings of these young people was done in a very respectful and realistic way Oh yeah. Sokka has several girlfriends throughout the course of this show it's not mm-hmm. like a and like I do think that Katara is conflicted about her her feelings about I do think that like she probably does have more of a romantic connection with Aang but she obviously has this kind of heat with Zuko and that's got to be confusing for her I mean that's the plot of Oklahoma <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I I think this is like just the perfect show to talk about on this podcast because I think that of course it awoke a whole generation of of young people and especially gays because i think it was very much acknowledging that young people have these feelings and showing that in a way that felt real and fun and exciting
1: and well written
0: and well written
2: and a world that you can, like, really dig your teeth into. Like, it's not always easy to watch your world, like, reflected in a realization of actually, like, this is the United States and here's a cartoon set in the United States. It's I feel like it's so much easier to, like, dig into something that is like, otherworldly in a way,
0: mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for Carlos, I know for you, you said that you kind of awoke to the words of this show and love the yeah. literature that came from it and now you are a playwright oh and so I think and that's... now I'm a
1: playwright <laughs> <laughs> and like literally I I don't know I like this is another weird little anecdote but I remember being a middle schooler and just reading I'm talking like 100 page 150 page fan fictions into the middle of the night and i remember one time very vividly where my dad walked in and i was like reading this like very it wasn't even like erotic it was just like romantic and i immediately like closed the the tab because i felt like it was very private and like it was something that i didn't want to show you know like that me reading that fan fiction i felt like some weird shame about it because it was so like, it felt so freeing when I was doing it that I relegated it to like midnight and like three o'clock and mm-hmm. four o'clock at night because it was like, this is my thing. And this is very like personal to me. And I think there's a reason that we keep coming back to this one series, you know, like mm-hmm. it holds up. And like Hannah alluded to, I, I run, I'm running a campaign, a and d campaign set in the world of Avatar The Last Airbender. I've written fan fiction for Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh,
0: yeah, let's uh, take a moment here. If you pledge to the Patreon uh, at a certain level, you will gain access to a recording that we will make in the coming weeks of y'all's fanfic.
1: Yeah, huh? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. So something. I mean, fan- honestly, really, you should pay money because... I- Carlos and I will also come back on and we will just exclusively talk about fan fiction because there is so much to be said for specifically the two of us about fan fiction, because I have a lot to say on just all of it. It's well, important.
1: Hannah, I was gonna say fanfiction is important. Mm-hmm.
0: Fanfiction is important. And I was gonna say, I think also I can see echoes of, of this story, of this show in in your taste as a theater maker and as a writer as well. You do oh. enjoy things with a bit of a like a, a fantasy edge. And I uh-huh. think this is a fun fantasy because it's not white. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best fantasy because it's not white. And
2: yet when they made a movie.
0: Oh, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we, we don't talk about
1: that. That didn't we happen. Talk about
0: that. Looking forward to the uh, to the Netflix reboot if that ever happens. I but, uh, I mean
2: the stuff I've read about it. It sounds like it's going to be fucking awesome. So I can't wait. Yeah.
0: Wait. All right. So where can our listeners find you on the socials if you want to be found? Um, You can find me everywhere at Hannah Elberg. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Carlos? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You can find me on Instagram at Carlos Deserves a Drink. I know. (laughs) And you can also find me on Twitter at Carolas Kubanis.
0: Amazing. Well, (laughs) my friends, this has been such an incredible journey. Did it do it for you? (laughs)
1: It, it did it, did for, it me. for me, hon.
0: It did it for me. Talking to you always does it for me, though. Oh, Hannah! So. Yeah. <laughs> well, stay well. Stay safe. Stay horny. Love to you both. I'm going to stop. Yeah. You. Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For You podcast is created, hosted, and edited by Aurelia Gerson to the best of their abilities. The show is produced by Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott Thomas. Our marketing and media manager is Eleanor Hobson, and our visual design is by Margaret Chambers. You can follow the pod at That Do It For You on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Patreon at patreon.com/slash That Do It For You Pod to join our horny little community.